Hi, everybody. You're listening to Not Safe for Wonks. Thank you for joining us today. I'm doing my very best Kennedy T. Cooper impression. Unfortunately, they couldn't be here with us today. We miss you, Kennedy. And although we do miss you greatly, Kennedy, we are consoled by the fact that today we have a special guest, my good friend and large, beautiful son, Shamim Nasrabadi, who will talk with us today about what's going on in Wet'suwet'en. Hi, Shamim, and thank you for being here with us today. They told me this was Chapo Trap House. We've been described as Chapo, but better, so there's that. We're described as the thinking man's candidate Chapo by a former congressional candidate. That's not, like, uh, I don't know. We don't think that much. Yeah, that that, that makes sense. (laughs) Like, now we have to think. Yeah, those are expectations I don't feel prepared to live up to. That's a very good uh, uh, description of this show, though. Chapo, but queer queer mm-hmm. chapo mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. give us queer okay. chapo. i can work with that I, I can work with yeah. that. gay chapo really gay, gay chapo is funnier so i'm gonna go with gay chapo gay chapo <laughs> yeah gay chapo so uh we have my beautiful large son and dad shamim here with us today who is going to talk to us about what he's been doing with the Wet'suwet'en tribal conflict not uh between themselves but against the canadian government and against this pipeline that's sort of trying to happen and that's a really terrible example of it so instead what i'm gonna say is <laughs> shamim how about you give us the really quick explanation as a person who is much better at talking about it than i am i can do that yes mm-hmm. um because i wouldn't phrase it the the way you did <laughs> um i'm curious though i am curious though because up here this is the thing uh everyone knows what's going on and it seems like it's the opposite down there your your airwaves have been it seems like saturated with yeah uh, democratic primary stuff and with the impeachment are you a canuck yeah shamim is my canadian boyfriend in canada and also my son (laughs) nice but yeah, America doesn't like paying attention to the news in other countries, mm-hmm. as evidenced by that whole Klobuchar AMLO thing. Yeah. We're what's important. Who gives a shit about happening in the fucking third water, third third world backwater of Canada? So other than that sort of broadly being true, I mean, I think what we have going on here is like I'd heard of the existence of a Wet'suwet'en tribe, right? And sort of that there was stuff going on there. Um but right now, everything mm-hmm. has just been swallowed by election coverage and Donald Trump bullshit. And it's been that way literally since 2016. It's like the only thing anyone has talked about at all since he won the election. Mm-hmm. Um, which <sighs> Trump, Trump is like 9-11, but for liberals, and I refuse to elaborate. You don't need to, actually. That's a really adept analogy, so... Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how, I don't know, even kind of the politically aware can be kept kind of unaware when it comes to this fucking just forever reality TV show of forever elections. 
So I was curious what uh, what you all uh, knew about this issue, just personally. I've heard a little bit about it, but it's just in the framework of, um, you remember the situation at Standing Rock? Something identical is happening in Canada. Um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, there's First Nations groups that are arguing with an oil company over drilling rights, and some people inside the tribe are supporting it, uh, and some aren't, and there's dispute over who's in charge. And that was about it. I would say that is practically my the extent of my knowledge of mm -hmm. the issue. Um, Brandon just did a way better job of explaining exactly what I thought it was. So I'm just going to second Brandon. And then I've been I've heard that there's been a, a lot of protest about indigenous activists across the country blockading rail routes and forcing mm -hmm. the closure of those lines in order to, you know, put the hurt on the economy and companies that would be supporting this to convince them to not support this. Absolutely. And then I saw that video of you yelling at whichever politician it was across the table, <laughs> which I'm not going to lie, was pretty cool. Yeah, she sucks. So I organize with Climate Justice Toronto, among other groups and other people here in Toronto. And one of the things that we planned was an occupation of Carolyn Bennett's office. Carolyn Bennett is the federal minister for Crown Indigenous Relations. So we entered her office, a uh, bunch of us from Climate Justice Toronto, as well as uh, Indigenous people. This was back a couple weeks ago, and we said, we're not leaving. We're not leaving uh, until the RCMP are out of the territory, and until uh, Coastal GasLink is out of the territory, period. We're not, we're not leaving until that happens. And that was as the raids were happening. And so the Indigenous folks with us held a ceremony in her office. As they were holding the ceremony, Frida was arrested, which was, you know, an emotional moment for, for everyone, but especially for them. Uh, and then Carolyn called us and she wanted to talk and she said, I would love to hold ceremony with you. And they said, we did not invite you to ceremony. What the fuck? And then she said, OK, I'll come meet with you all at 10 tomorrow morning. And then she came by the next morning. Uh, the Indigenous folks knew that she was looking for a photo op or some semblance of a, a conversation that she had with them that there was a dialogue and whatever so they left before she could even get there to deny her that and because she had just flagrantly disrespected them and she even she even came with a detail of four uh cops which is i guess her private security detail or whatever but like you know there's indigenous people here who are protesting police officers brutalizing indigenous people and you're bringing police officers to meet with them in a closed space yeah it's really walking in with your thugs yeah like what the fuck are you thinking so they left they found out the cops were there uh they were also offended by that uh and then we met with her in that office and we uh this was really actually the layout of the office was really helpful to us because it was on the main floor and it was right in front of these two big fucking windows and so the way that we had organized this occupation was that we invited a, everyone in the community to come out and occupy with us from the outside. So they would be outside and they would look, they would watch us inside through those big fucking windows and, and keep us safe basically, because if they're watching us, the cops can't come in there and crack all of our skulls. Uh, so they, they came, they brought food, they stayed overnight with us. And then the next morning they watched as we had the meeting. And so I had the idea, well, what if we call someone on the outside 
put our phone in the middle of the table on speakerphone, have their phone on the outside in front of a megaphone, and they can hear the entire conversation because cops are not letting anyone in or out of this building. And as far as I'm concerned, all of those people are invited to this meeting as well. So let's, let's actually bring them into the meeting. And so Carolyn didn't like that very much, but she didn't really do anything about it. And so we got to have this really cool meeting and protest at the same time. So everyone out there got to react in real time when she said stupid bullshit. It ruled. That does fucking rule, actually. I'm... Like, I feel the fucking revolutionary spirit in this room right now. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, so we met with her. That was a fucking... It was... I'm going to be real with you, Shamim. We've been friends for a while. Uh, that was still literally the coolest thing I've ever seen. Before. Really? That was... That fucking ruled. <laughs> yeah, thank you. What Rachel's talking about is how we ended the meeting, which was just fucking walking out on her, because over the course of that meeting, she didn't give us anything she wasn't willing to commit to any action at all she just kept saying you know the cops are doing this and there's nothing i could do about it so we walked out on her we said listen they said out in wetsoatan that reconciliation is dead and you've done nothing to to show us that it's not dead you're not willing to commit to any action at all it's dead and we walked out on her and that's that's what rachel's talking about because we got that someone caught that they clipped that part of our live stream of the thing and they posted it uh and I guess you can put that in the show notes if you want. <laughs> so I think we've established that I think that was fucking cool. But um, for our listeners, why were y'all in that room in the first place? What happened? How did it get so bad? Let's start at the beginning. So what's happening here is uh, an oil pipeline wants to... The, the oil. This is the Coastal Gas Link pipeline. They're owned by TransCanada, which has rebranded itself to tc energy much like i don't know blackwater rebranded trans canada itself. unfortunately not what you're thinking of <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> um so uh wet'suwet'en territory is the wet'suwet'en nation is in uh colonial british columbia that's a twenty-two thousand square kilometer territory it was never ceded there was never any treaty signed with the canadian government so uh the logical conclusion there is that that's not Canada. That is Wet'suwet'en. Um, and there are, uh, as of over 10 years ago, because it turns out it takes a long time to build a pipeline, there were three pipeline projects proposed to go through that territory. So uh, the Wet'suwet'en people of specifically uh, on Unistaden territory, which is one of the uh, houses uh, there's five clans, and of the clans, there are several houses. One of the houses is uh, Dark House, and associated with the Dark House clan is Unistaden. Uh, so the Unistaden uh, found that territory is right smack on the convergence of all three of those proposed pipelines. So 10 years ago, um, Frida Husan is her name. She decided she was going to build a homestead at uh, what is now known as the Unistaden camp. Uh, and so she built her house there. She built a, a healing lodge. She built a visitor center. Uh, and that's been there for the past uh, over 10 years now. Uh, and for that period of time, those pipeline projects have been um, progressing slowly. And now uh, they came to a head last year. They, they also, last year, the RCMP did raids. They uh, militarized police. Um, blasted through those barricades. There wasn't anything, there was no kind of 
fire hoses like they had at Standing Rock. It is very, very cold at Unistaden. People would have died had there been fire hoses. But I don't want to downplay how violent it was because, you know, there, there's like it was terrible. You can watch. There's a short film uh, that the Unistaden camp has uploaded to YouTube called Invasion. I encourage you to do that. That was uh, last year's raids. After the show um, is uh, over, you can pass mm-hmm. it to us and we'll put it in the show notes. So that people who are listening to the podcast, they sure. can watch as soon as they're done here. Sure, yeah. And so um, this year they've done it again. Coastal Gas Link, has, uh, they took this issue to court. Um, they took it to the BC Supreme Court, and the BC Supreme Court granted them an injunction uh, to access the Wet'suwet'en territory, which I have to stress again, is not Canada, is not under Canada's jurisdiction. Canada has no right to deliver uh, injunctions to tell anyone to clear out that territory for a pipeline. Um, and so this is where I want to talk about uh, the Delgamuk court case. This went all the way up to the Canada Supreme Court back in 97. And this was the, um, the, the plaintiffs in this one were the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs. So um, I was talking about the Wet'suwet'en nation, the 22,000 square kilometers. Because that is not Canada, they are still governed by their traditional governance system, which is uh, with hereditary chiefs. And those hereditary chiefs um, at the time brought this lawsuit uh, and they won it. And uh, the lawsuit granted them basically colonial recognition of uh, their jurisdiction over their own territory. So even Canada's court recognizes that that's not Canada. Canada has no jurisdiction there. That is Wet'suwet'en territory. Even still, BC Supreme's court has granted that injunction. And so the RCMP uh, waffled for a little while. And then at the beginning of this month, uh, they moved in. And so there were three checkpoints along. This is on a, a secluded forest road. Uh, and they have dismantled every checkpoint. They arrested 28, I believe, uh, Wet'suwet'en people on their own land, which is, and, and they, you know, after arresting them, they took them out to a police station, which is a violation uh, of the United Nations declarations on the rights of Indigenous people, which the BC government has made a lot of sounds about, you know, how they care about implementing it. And then, you know, they, they obviously, they clearly don't. They violated it at the first chance they got. Um, so that's, that's uh, what's happening there. So Coastal Gaslink wants uh, access to that land and the RCMP are acting as sort of their private military force to grant them access to that land. And so they've done it. They've cleared through all three checkpoints. Um, and in response to that, uh, there was a call made to shut down Canada from the Wet'suwet'en Nation. They called out for solidarity actions uh, and they specifically asked people across the continent even because uh, colonial borders are fake. Canada's fake. The United States are fake. So uh, y'all can, oh. can get involved. Uh, but the call was made to shut down Canada. And so that you already alluded to that. Uh, the way that looks is rail blockades right now. Uh, the entire rail network in this country is fucking has been paralyzed. And everyone, the federal government is freaking about, out about it. The provincial government is freaking out about it. And that is where the, the majority of action is happening right now here is rail blockades and uh, various level of governments not knowing what the fuck to do about how, them. How long has this been? The last couple of weeks? Yeah, it's the, uh, I believe it was 
the fourth, the sixth, or something like that. It was yeah. It's only been a couple of weeks. There hasn't been like an organized action from the cops in response to this. Uh, well, this is different levels of police for different territories, and um, these have been autonomously organized. There was a blockade at the port in Vancouver, uh, and so that would have been the Vancouver police dealing with that. And you know, they did. They removed people in uh, in the Vancouver port. There, they've. Um, they brought kayaks into the water and they they blocked the roads into the ferry and they blocked that for, I don't know, a half a day or something like that. Uh, they have been, maybe the most significant one that I should bring up now is that the Mohawk in, I don't know how to pronounce this, I've only ever seen it written, but in Tyendinaga, which is in Ontario, it's near a town called Belleville. They've been blocking the rails for basically the entire time, basically since uh, the RCMP moved in, they've been blocking the rail and that's been, uh, one of kind of the most significant, um, I don't know, motivators, sources of energy for everyone looking to them and uh, drawing strength from what they're doing so that they can do it elsewhere. So now they're, they've sprung up everywhere. They've Montreal, Toronto, on and off. Um, Starting a revolution from a kayak is the most Canadian thing possible, to be clear. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny to say that because I like I wouldn't call and a lot of Indigenous people wouldn't call themselves Canadian especially now this was something I don't know I thought I would get to this later I guess I'll get to it now but um when the the RCMP was moving into Unistaden uh mm -hmm. this is the Trudeau government has made a lot of sounds about reconciliation they pretend that this is a thing that they care about they did this report for the truth and reconciliation commission about um missing and in murdered indigenous women girls trans uh two spirit um this is a thing that this government pretends to care about and has shown us at the very first opportunity that it doesn't care about. So um, back to those three blockades, the last blockade leading into Nistaden, they uh, the Wet'suwet'en there uh, wrote on it in huge letters, uh, reconciliation, so that you know the, the cops, when they dismantled that barricade, would have the metaphor literally beat them over the fucking head with it. Uh, they dismantled it anyway. So, um, so Frida and her sister and, uh, you know, the other protest, uh, I don't know, not protesters, land protectors, they are not protesters, the other land protectors uh, on their own territory, held a funeral for for reconciliation, they, they, you know, they held a ceremony and they had a little funeral pyre. And once uh, Frida had been arrested, uh, they declared reconciliation is dead, which is really I can't understate how powerful that is as a response to this government that pretends to want dialogue, but really what that only, they only really mean dialogue when you agree with me. Um, and they pretend to be interested in civility and conversation, but it's again, only when you agree with me. And so the indigenous people of this nation, after uh, negotiating in good faith for some time have, uh, have, it seems come to the conclusion that if you're not going to respect our laws, we're not really under any obligation to respect yours. So yeah, that, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I wouldn't call some of yeah. them Canadians. I would use that term maybe for, uh, for non-Indigenous people here. It's a good distinction to make, I think. I noticed there's a lot of, it seems very deliberate linguistic choices among yeah. the land protectors. What is the sort of glossary that those of us who want to learn more should really be looking to understand? Like, Ooh. what what are some other big words that we should know about? 
That is a big question. Yeah. So it's hard for me to come up with the whole list off the top of my head. We'll probably come to them throughout this talk, but uh, I'll start with that one, I suppose. And I maybe I'll start with even just the background for why, why the glossary is so important. It's because specifically with this government, as I mentioned before, that optics are super important to them. So optics right now is half the battle. And not only for that reason, but also because, and we have explicit kind of internal documents from the cops saying this, that they are going to be gentler on people and less kind of direct and less violent if there is more public support. So right now, what we're really doing is fighting a battle in the realm of the media and the public discourse in terms of keeping the support up because they are trying their very best, both the government and industry, hand in hand, to erode support as much as they can because once they do that, that gives uh, a gap for the RCMP to move in and start arresting first kind of rail protesters. And then, uh, you know, maybe they want to mus continue their muscular presence on, I mean, they already have, they're already on Wet'suwet'en territory and they're not leaving, despite saying recently that they, they were backing off. Reports from the territory have said that they're not backing off. They're just kind of ensuring that Coastal GasLink has access to the territory, which is has not been consented to. So that's the reason why language is so important. It's because when, you know, the right will try to frame Indigenous people on their own land as activists or as protesters, it gives them ground uh, to make this seem like politically contentious. It makes it, it gives them ground to make it look like there's division. Uh, and that's exactly what they want. If there's division, then it becomes political opinion. And then it becomes like, oh, well, you know, there's no uh, there's no consensus on yes pipeline or no pipeline. Uh, they can't even agree among themselves, et cetera, et cetera. It gives them more and more room to work with so that the pipeline becomes more and more acceptable. So that's why we make an effort to call them land defenders and not not protesters. Let me think about other glossary terms. First Nations, when we talk about band councils, when we talk about, uh, you, talk, you, you mentioned tribe at one point, which is not what they, they are like a nation. So they call it, like, I don't think that's the, the appropriate word in this context. There's a difference between the Wet'suwet'en Nation and the Wet'suwet'en First Nation, which is confusing, I know. But um, I don't know if you have something similar like this uh, south of the border. But up here, um, the way reservations uh, were broken up was by a piece of legislation called the Indian Act. Um, and that basically afforded indigenous peoples here tiny reservations uh, and it completely overrode their governance structure. Canada said, the way you're governing yourself is savage, it's nonsense, uh, it's ridiculous, and this is the way you're going to govern yourself now. And so they imposed this system of band councils. Uh, that are elected and they don't, as we can see, recognize any other structure of governance. And so uh, I remember when I asked you, uh, what do you know about this? A couple of you said there's something, you know, some of the community is divided, some of the community supports, some of the community divides, um, or some of the community disagrees, rather. Uh, and the distinction, sorry, so to explain that, um, there are a line that you'll see trotted out a lot in relation to this story is that 20 band councils along the pipeline route uh, signed on to the project. And what that actually means is that they signed benefits agreements 
which in this country, First Nations cannot actually say no to infrastructure projects that the Canadian state intends to implement. So that doesn't mean much on its own. A benefits agreement is not really consent on its own. Now, that being said, some of those bands genuinely do consent to the project, and some of them just sign the agreements because they want a payout from a project that they see as going through anyway, whether they like it or not. That aside, those 20 bands are, they're small, right? They're tiny. You could see them as municipalities compared to the 22,000 square kilometer territory of unceded Wet'suwet'en nation. And on top of that, they're not even on the pipeline, the proposed pipeline right of way. So they don't have jurisdiction whether or not they consent, and some of them genuinely do, and some of them have been coerced into it. They don't actually have the jurisdiction to approve the entire pipeline through that territory. That jurisdiction lies with the traditional governance structure, which is the hereditary chiefs, and they have unanimously said no to this pipeline, no to the RCMP. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I if I remember correctly about the point about uh, Indigenous self-governance, it was not recognized for a long time until the Indian Reorganization Act or Indian New Deal in, the, in 34, 1934 that provided for... Um, tribes to be allowed to adopt tribal constitutions and have elected government uh, elected governments that were answerable to the Bureau of Indian Affairs. So I imagine that situation is sort of similar to what you guys have uh, in Canada. It sounds similar. Yeah. It was even down to the name. It used to be called Indian Affairs up here as well until they realized that the optics of that were fucking awful. And so... They've changed oh, it. They, they haven't realized that yet. Up oh, here. really? They've changed it to, I think, Ministry of Indigenous and Northern Affairs. I don't actually know. It, it was the Office of Indian Affairs. Wait. Yeah, it was the Office of Indian Affairs in the 1800s, but then somewhere along the line, they changed it to the Bureau of Indian Affairs. But there's, yeah, it's still, yeah. it's still, still got the, still got the, that funky name. Yeah, right? just awful. The parts did not change in the least. I also noticed, um, I was Googling really quick behind the scenes, comparing notes um, between the Indian Act of Canada and the Indian Reorganization Act of the United States. And it looks like actually uh, we just took directly from the Canadian book here. So it makes a lot of sense as to why all of this would feel so familiar. You know, a lot of things you were talking about with how the indigenous population were treated there were essentially the same here i also wanted to just drop a factoid for you know american listeners here uh when shamim says twenty-two thousand kilometers uh, that's give or take thirteen and a half thousand square miles oh yeah sorry <laughs> i forgot you use fake measurements we use pretend measurements yeah, yeah and yeah. to contextualize that for people <laughs> um that's one and a half times the size of maryland so this is mm-hmm. this is not you know a small pocket of people. This place is big enough that if they were right wing, they would have two Republican senators gumming up the works at all times. Yeah, it's not. And like most of Canada, I was just reading an article about this yesterday. Our entire population is along the southern border, basically, and the rest of the land is like either in the case of BC, like indigenous nations that are unseated or it's like just a fucking land that they've been dispossessed of so that mining companies can or in the case of the prairies a lot of just agriculture but like it's just industry we all live on the southern border and the rest is resource extraction all of the national all of the national identities of settler colonial nations are constructed to be oppositionatory towards the indigenous populations but canada especially has 
like no material backing for the basis of the Canadian identity. It's hilarious, actually, how little we have with respect to an actual national identity. Like Pierre, I mean, I mean like Trudeau's, give give yeah. give, the Ameri- give the American identity all the shit you want, but it was formed because of an opposition to Britain to Britain mm-hmm. in the Revolutionary War. But you guys were just sort of let off the hook and you were just kind of given your own country in the 1860s justin's dad pierre who was also a prime minister back in i think the 70s just pretty well Mm -hmm. invented the canadian identity out of whole cloth down to the universe the socialized healthcare, the universal health care down to the the emphasis on multiculturalism like we can trace that directly back to this guy who is like okay we need to just invent something for our uh, our project of facilitation of resource extraction. So I want to circle back uh, sort of on the topic of messaging. Um, mm-hmm. You were talking about how uh, the media strategy has been to sort of create the appearance of division yes. um, within the Wet'suwet'en nation. Yes. What strategies have they been using? What should we be on the lookout for to immediately ignore when we're reading about this? Yeah, one of the nastiest ones, and you'll see it from industry itself, Coastal Gaslink has been buying ads on Twitter and Instagram, and they've been amplifying specific voices. They're trying to use our language and they're doing it poorly, basically, but they've found specific voices of Indigenous people. They found one chief of one of the the bands. Uh, They found another kind of Indigenous pipeline worker who they like to to amplify his voice a lot. And they'll, they'll say like, this uh, this person is Wet'suwet'en, and we we owe it to them to listen to what they have to say. Um, and they'll do uh, so. The, I mean, they'll do that. There's a lot of just paid bought uh, advertising. Uh, and then there's also, like I mentioned before, that every article for a little while was putting a little an, as an aside, or even right out the gate, they would say twenty band councils uh, consented or signed benefits agreements or whatever to give, because Canadians, uh, much like Americans, I think, or Westerners in general, have been trained to see when they see something like that, they think uh, in terms of democracy and in terms of majority rule. They don't really have a conception of the levels of indigenous government in the Wet'suwet'en territory. They don't really know, I think, the difference between a hereditary chief of the Wet'suwet'en nation or of a band council. Like it's not something that we generally have a level of understanding on. So they, they, media and industry rely on that. So they'll throw out a number like 20 band councils consent versus five hereditary chiefs. And so you get the impression that there's a division in the community, but the pro-pipeline forces outnumber the anti-pipeline, if you will, the land protectors. It's relying on your not understanding of how the system works yeah. to obfuscate it yes. with bullshit numbers. Yeah. And this kind of, you need to listen to the indigenous people. And it's like, well, we are, you know, like we know, and it's, this is a, a testament to how well the activist community in this country is looking to indigenous leadership on the issues. We know how the governance structure works. We know that the hereditary chiefs are in charge of that 22,000 square kilometer area. And, the band councils are in charge of their reservations. And we know that right now the jurisdiction for that pipeline lies with the hereditary chiefs and it lies with the people who actually occupy 
the the Unistadan territory that's that the RCMP are directly accessing right now, which is you know Frida and her healing lodge and her homestead. All of that sounds very familiar. I got to tell you, with respect to Standing Rock, you mean? Oh yeah. I uh, well, I mean not just Standing Rock, but broadly, you know. Um, Divide and conquer. Manufacturing consent for any kind of oh yeah right wing issue, paying somebody that has that same identification and going oh listen to them. It's like yeah. you're not them. You're like one person. What's happening here? Yeah, it's almost like internationally, there's a relatively small of incredibly wealthy and powerful people who use broadly the same right, strategies yeah. to control people <laughs> or something. So I want to I want to okay. ask, looking forward, um, you know, reconciliation is dead. What does that mean moving forward? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's uh, it's a really powerful moment in you know you know canada being fake as a disclaimer it's a really important moment in canadian history right now because it feels like a mask off moment in terms of the canadian state really just showing that it doesn't actually care about reconciliation and on top of that indigenous people and the people who stand in solidarity with them have fully recognized that and are no longer willing to cooperate with a state that will not cooperate with them and will not recognize uh, their rights. So I can't say what that looks like going forward, but it's certainly, I think, um, I, like, I think that the, the myth of reconciliation is, is, it is dead. Like there's no salvaging it. Like a real conversation needs to happen now about whether indigenous people in this, you know, on this continent get rights or if they don't, and if they don't, it will have to be by force. The state is going to have to enforce that violently. And, you know, they don't want to do that, but we'll see if they do it or not. I think I didn't get to see it. I didn't get to watch it today, but Trudeau held a press conference uh, saying that the blockades have got to end. And so that is not a good sign. Again, I didn't get to watch it. I don't know what else he said. I don't know the tone, et cetera, et cetera. I was busy, unfortunately. But um, it seems to be certainly coming to a head right now. So I wish I had a better answer for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, anything we're doing at this point is prognosticating. Um, yeah. I wonder to what extent the Canadian government will be willing to step up and more accurately beat down its people the way the United States has. Um, you know, I would say if we were if we were looking at this in... The United States, people would already be getting tear gassed. They would already be getting, you know, I think about that image from Occupy Wall Street when there was that pig of a cop just walking down the line of protesters with pepper spray, mm -hmm. just yeah. casually spraying all of them directly in their eyes. Uh, and I, I think about that and I wonder, you know, do you expect to see that from your own government? I mean, there's, it's not like there's not a history of Mm -hmm. tensions like that in canada the oka crisis in the in the 90s and quebec with the uh with mohawk peoples this uh and that was over i forget was that over building an airport or a golf course golf course you know our our history includes absolutely includes violent suppression of labor uprising and stuff like that so i i think we're definitely internationally you know and in solidarity experiencing those kinds of tensions just everywhere yeah and so Something that uh, a, a much more experienced activist than myself told me just recently was when I asked them, 
what do you think we were talking about security stuff and about joint intelligence groups and whether we would we were surveilled and et cetera, et cetera. And I asked a, just a question about the political context of the thing and who we probably needed to worry or not worry about in the upcoming days. And what they said to me was because of the optics thing that we already discussed, um, we should probably be in the more immediate term worried about the far right and what they're doing on the ground. Um, while the cops continue to waffle and while the state continues to make noises about, you know, dialogue and reconciliation and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we've seen already now in the Edmonton area, there was a blockade and the far right with uh, yellow vests. I don't know if you have yellow vests down south, but it's associated with the French who everyone hates. So it's not happening here. To be clear, I love yellow vests. <laughs> I want that energy here. I wish we could actually fucking protest like the French. Yeah, no, we, well, you know, and they have us cowed down here because they'll fucking shoot us. Like, yeah, well, um, literally. I hate to break it to you. The yellow vests here are not the same yellow vests. They're just fascists. Well, what, what is, what is the state of the Canadian far right? Because we hear a lot about the American far right, probably because we're in America. But what is the state of that? Um, well, I don't do a lot of, Personally, I don't do a lot of like eyes on the far right stuff. Um, but what I was about to talk about was um, the far right dismantling with uh, with the yellow vest yeah. and with uh, United Reroll, which is like just I don't know a bunch of fucking truckers or something. I don't really know what their deal is, but they're fascists. They went and they are also trying to use our language and also doing it poorly. But they tried to say that they you know they care about rule of law and they're also peaceful. But they went out to that blockade and just dismantled it like they just picked it up they just picked up the pieces of this blockade and packed them up in their truck and like they are very much out there to to do this the thing that the cops are not doing just yet and the cops are letting them do it there's evidence of communication between the groups where um the cops warned them at one point don't go out and do this thing and they went out and did it and somebody raised the question what's that direct line of communication that the cops have with the fascists here? Why do they have a direct line of communication? What's that all about? I am assuming that the cops do not have a direct line of communication <laughs> with the land defenders. Well, apart from a megaphone. Um, well, yes and no. I think it's, yeah, like they, the, the land of protectors in Wet'suwet'en have made it clear that they will not negotiate at the barrel of a gun. They want nation-to-nation -nation talks with at this point trudeau and horgan horgan is the uh the premier of british columbia uh they don't want to talk to trudeau's ministers they don't want to talk to rcmp ranking officers they don't want to talk to any of them they want and preconditions for these talks are the cops out and coastal gas link out and all charges dropped on arrested land defenders um so that line of communication it i think it did exist at one point it doesn't anymore that's so fun and good. Yeah, out in Edmonton, uh, they've been doing that. And I have heard unconfirmed reports of fascists mobilizing out here to try and go fuck with the Mohawks in Tyandanaga that I mentioned earlier. I don't know. I have to really stress that that's unconfirmed. I don't know if that's actually a real thing. So um, are your are your fascists doing terrorist activity as well? Not really as much of it, no. I'm not familiar yeah. with any terrorist shit they've done in, the recent, in recent memory. Yeah, that must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> it must be nice to be able to organize and not be afraid they're going to 
Yeah, I mean, I I might be more frightened if I lived in the prairies. They're they're much worse out there. Uh, okay. Out here, we have a really sizable contingent of people who can tell them to fuck off, and they don't really. There are certainly some fascists out here, especially in kind of Hamilton in the out like the the greater Toronto area, not so much Toronto proper. There are certainly a healthy fascist presence there, but you know, I can't really tell you much about them. That's not really where. I do my my activism, my organizing. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, well, so we've got about 10, 15 minutes left. Um, are there any sort of last things you want us to be uh, looking out for or any particular organizations we can be sending money to or organizing for? You know, what can we do down here to help? Yeah, you can send money directly to the Unistaden. Um, you can, there's a, really helpful URL, which is unistaden.camp, and that's spelled U-N-I-S-T-O-T-E-N dot camp. That's a URL you can type in. Uh, if you go there, you can find uh, information and you can find places to donate money because they need it. You can also send money to the Mohawks in Tandanaga who are doing that blockade. They're looking to buy a shed. They only need about $2,000 Canadian, which is, I don't know, five bucks American. Um, <laughs> yeah i had to actually actively unmute myself so that my laughter would make it on because i did laugh and i did want you to get credit for making a joke that made yeah i was like i made a really funny joke everyone pay attention to me um did, you yeah. can send them money and you can also follow um follow this closely and amplify it i realize that you don't get a lot of the news but if you can do your best to follow um, the Unistaden camp accounts on, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, follow the Get Him Den Checkpoint accounts. Um, one of the hereditary chiefs, uh, and forgive me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, but Smogelgem is how I read it. S-M-O-G-E-L-G-E-M. He has an account that you can follow as well. As, and as you get into uh, looking into those accounts, you'll see other accounts that you can follow. Uh, Palm, Palmate, Pam Palmater is a lawyer as well that you can follow that has really good analysis on the issues and definitely follow them and amplify them because as I mentioned, like this is as of right now, uh, an optics game. This is a war of public support while the blockades are in this face off with the Canadian state. Uh, so do that. And, um, I'm not telling you to do illegal things, but, if I wanted to, and I lived south of the border, I would also be looking at rail lines that maybe cross the border. But you know, I will I will leave that to uh, to you. <laughs> you absolutely should not organize blockades. Definitely don't do lines. don't do anything illegal. That is illegal. Disrupting rail lines it, is a it, felony. It, no, the, all of that stuff is very illegal, and you shouldn't do anything illegal, including blocking rail lines and including blocking transportation of of goods and people across the border. You shouldn't. As do any good of that citizens, stuff. we all know that the the best protest informs no one and bothers no one in its existence. Absolutely, yeah. So don't don't do any of those things. Um, just continue being irony poisoned and posting online about um, I don't know Bloomberg and Pete Buttigieg. Would you like to talk about Bloomberg and Pete Buttigieg? No, absolutely not. Are you sure? Are you <laughs> yeah. sure you don't want to talk about them? 
<laughs> no, they, they suck and you probably talk about them enough and everyone's probably heard about them enough and i would rather talk about something that is uh, oh, yeah. i oh, think yeah. i think more important and less talked about you know can i tell you this as a person who talks about this as my job uh, mm. i would much rather be talking about this shit yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, it's yeah. honestly it's such an oh, important yeah. mo- i like i cannot stress enough how important this moment is and i like i mentioned this before but like imagine just in a theoretical scenario i tell you down in the united states i'm gonna give you this for free i'm a genie in a bottle and i'm gonna give you for free an uprising across the entire nation what do you want it to be about i couldn't pick a better issue than this one we're talking about indigenous people's rights and sovereignty on their own territory we're talking about the violence of the state and about the of the police brutality police violence how they act as mercenaries for industry we're talking about how fucking bloodthirsty industry can be and it's just relentless quest for resource extraction and just endless expansion we're talking about all these things at the same time and people are really feeling emboldened to uh to disobey and break laws which you shouldn't do absolutely not don't do that but like this is it's incredible and we're all looking to the indigenous people of this continent for guidance it's nuts i talk about this a lot in organizing as a thing that i want to start seeing because of this podcast if you listen to this podcast and you like my ideas like just hear me out on this they can't make us do fucking anything actually Like, the powers that be are only as powerful as we enable them to be. And Mm -hmm. we have an inalienable capacity to say no. And if Mm -hmm. we do it together, they can't make us do it. Mm -hmm. They have tried. They have tried everything they possibly can do, and they have no ability to stop us. Because after a certain point, what are they going to do? Kill us? They definitely Mm -hmm. lose then. And that, that, yeah uh it's like uh it's like bill haywood said more than a century ago if the workers are organized all they have to do is put their hands in their pockets and they got all the capitalist class whipped yeah and i mean you know should be what you're talking about that's happening up there in the nation of wet'suwet'en is you know it, it is the naked unapologetic face of colonialism and of capitalism and of the just insatiable greed and hunger of the capitalist class and that kind of naked exposure is like you said extremely powerful and i hope that people listening to this podcast will get involved if they're in the north up here or whatever capacities that they can't i guess it's your south but whatever yeah yeah for us our north your south at the border you know, if you have the capacity to organize there, please do. If you're listening to this podcast, please signal boost these voices. And really, you know, I I hope that everyone will take from this the message that we can organize and they cannot stop us. And if the revolution rises because an indigenous nation stood in solidarity, I think there's a fucking poetry to that that I genuinely would love to see come to fruition. Yeah, like an indigenous nation across the continent from another indigenous nation. And then on on both ends of this continent here, emboldening everyone else to get out there and do the thing and just shut the whole fucking country down. 
the rail lines are completely paralyzed and that's what this entire bullshit country is built upon is moving those goods yeah. by rail and you know more more literally it was built upon it like you know using the labor of uh, of you know of slaves of racial racialized slaves it's a shame that um america more relies on trucks and shipping over highways than railroads because those are slightly harder to disrupt in the same manner if someone were to theoretically want mm -hmm. to do something like that yeah but you shouldn't do that of no, course or should ever do but i'm just gonna put this out there you know sarah nelson if you're listening y'all got shit done the last time you stopped our airports not listening. You got it done real quick. Absolutely not. And if, and if you're not Sarah Nelson, but you know Sarah Nelson, I'm just going <laughs> to shove this your way and you right. can do whatever you want to with it. But if you feel like organizing, you should organize and you should never break the law. Ever. <laughs> I'm Rachel Kahn at ReachRachelKahn on Twitter. Uh, this is Brandon Buchanan at Brandon Buchanan. Leia Rose at Leia underscore Rose underscore. And Shamim, do you want to plug your Twitter? Yeah, uh, my name's Shamim, and my Twitter is at Nasradaddy. That's N-A-S-R-A-Daddy. Cool. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you. Bye-bye. Next time. Bye.